Non, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, moi, c'est bâti, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. The time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel of the Sun. You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! My life has value! Babel, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I'm a man! Well? Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm d'Or. Adele, Leia, and Abdel Abdel Kishin. We won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. Podcast 79 at filmotomy.com. We'll be discussing the year 1979. I'm joined by Bianca. And also, from part of the flicks, Jeff again joins us. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. You you look at it as a block of films that are now on IMDb as 79. I saw it at the time as... You know, the films that, like The Deer Hunter, won the best picture in 79, although it was released in December 78. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and again, Bianca, you were talking the other day about um, all that jazz. Mm. Yeah, that came out in 79. I never got a chance to see that film until September 1980. And that was in cinema. So, so it's really weird release patterns as well that were flying around. Yeah, I'll tell you what's weird as well, the Cannes Film Festival... In 79, Apocalypse Now won the Palme d'Or, which shared it with the Tin Drum, the West German yeah. film. And then in 1980, All That Jazz won the Palme d'Or after after it competed at the Oscars and had yeah. a general release in, in, in obviously the United States, but Europe were just like, ooh, what's this? Do you know what the highest grossing film was of 1979? Probably, it wasn't, it probably wasn't earlier. Mm. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it might. I, d- I don't know whether this might surprise you, but do you want to? Do you want to have a, another guess? So, was it Kramer? Kramer versus Kramer came out at the end of the year. Um, that was high in the list. Wasn't Rocky Two? Was it? No, it was actually Kramer versus Kramer. Okay. That was the highest grossing film of 1979. Yeah. Do you want to know what the the second highest grossing film of 1979 was? Star Trek. No? Ah! no. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story about Star Trek when we get on to that. Well, <laughs> that, that. That film almost killed me. Um, go on then, what's the second one, Bay? It's the Amityville Horror. Oh, okay. yeah. So, yeah, it's weird. I feel like that film was older than 1979. I don't know whether that's just because I'm sort of 
watching it from you know today's perspective and it seems really dated and you know i don't know some horror films age well and then some it it, it was terrible (laughs) at the time i've actually i've actually seen the real house and it's so nondescript it's unbelievable oh really yeah oh gosh um and they're still making films based on what happened in that house even you know today so it's like you know all these years later they're still milking that (laughs) i'm working on a piece for lucy at the moment about um horror film franchises yeah and going all the way back to when universal did this horror cycle in the 30s and then hammer did theirs in the 50s the first franchise in and then how all that mutated in the 70s and 80s and the one thing you can say about the franchise you never get better films other than the first one that's true um i mean talking about horror films in 1979 obviously alien that yeah that came out and to be fair i guess aliens that followed was uh, a fairly decent sequel but it's still something about that original film um which you know still stands the test of time now but um i've never i wasn't around in 1979 (laughs) um clearly uh but i can only imagine what the atmosphere must have been like in the theater after it was yeah it, it was huge and one of the clever things they did with the sound and i'm not sure now if they've corrected this or changed it on i must go back and have a look at the blu-ray i've got but it was he'd fiddled around with the sound in the beginning of it in in the theater so that it was very difficult to hear a lot of the first part of the film and the dialogue and it was designed to put you on edge really scott really cleverly did it um yeah, there's all sorts of stories about the making of Alien that was that was strange, but that was one of his marketing things that 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 he did. Yeah, but the sound in that film as well, like <clears throat> when the lights go on and off and the mm. the pods open, everything about the sound. Mm. Even now, you watch that film and you think it's like it's like chills. You don't even think about the Alien. You don't even, you forgot about the Alien, uh, and yeah. you can also see how many so many films since tried to emulate that stuff. That sound design. Yeah, and and also Jerry Goldsmith's score as well. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Because it's actually, if you listen to it, some of it's quite nice. But played against the film, it's actually a bit sort of, ooh, ooh, you know. Tantalising, tantalising. Yeah. I think, you know, that scene where, you know, they're having dinner, and you just forget, like, even now, I mean, we all know what happens in, in that scene, but even when you're watching it, you get that sense of, you know, forgetting it, that, that the whole thing is called Alien, you know? It, it's so well done. And when it actually... I mean, I believe that um, the, they didn't really tell people or the crew or the, the cast what was going on. Yeah, the, uh, other than John Hurt, that, that's, yeah. that's quite right. Yeah, the he, only, he knew. <laughs> yeah, the only warning the, the cast had that something bad was going to happen is all the crew were covered in white overalls <laughs> to make sure they didn't get covered in the stuff. So, yeah. so 
when you see Veronica Cartwright in particular when she screams, <laughs> that that is not acting. Oh, I know it's such a great scene, isn't it? I, and I just think like, you know, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to actually see it on the big screen. And that's what I kind of miss, uh, you know, like when I go back to watch these films, you know, from, you know, when we do the rewind, I always think, oh, you know, one, one, one year we'll do one where I've actually seen it. And I've gone to the cinema and been there and seen it for the first time. Uh, but <laughs> it's just, it'd be amazing if I had a time machine to go back and watch it with, you know, with a crowd to see how they reacted. It, it was great with an audience. I will, um, yeah, I'm not helping the situation you're in. But, <laughs> but no, no it, was, it was good fun. And the, the screams that came in the cinema because nobody... You hadn't really seen a film like Aliens before. You know, it just, everything about it felt real. You know, there was no silly backdrops. Like a lot of films, I, I was saying there's, you know, 1979, a lot of these science fiction films are really poorly done, really poor backdrops. Um, but this film, it just felt organic. And it, it was just a whole new experience. Now, I, I'd heard stories, I can never... I can't prove I'm about to tell you, but I've heard stories that Ridley Scott's original cut had more of a sexual element to the alien as well, and they had to re remove those scenes. So the sequence where Veronica Cartwright and Yafit Koto dies was a lot, lot worse in the original cut, and things had to be taken out because they said it would never get a certificate. Um, and it's quite suggestive anyway, isn't it? because his tail goes under her legs, and that, yeah, I've read, yes. stuff, I've read stuff about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know the story about Time Magazine pulled a, a particular shot from its cover? No. If you go back and look at where I think it's John Hurt and Tom Skerritt are in the costume in their spacesuit, walking into the the opening, the orifice of the alien spaceship. It's so suggestive. They said there's no way they could like, they could put that shot on there. Right. <laughs> and talking about sci-fi, there was also another film that you mentioned that came out this year, and that was Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah. The film that almost killed me. It certainly made me sleep. Um, so, <laughs> so long story. You might want to cut this out. But basically, what happened was that so. Three films, three science fiction films opened at Christmas in 79. They were Meteor, The Black Hole, and Star Trek, The Motion Picture. And Star Trek, of course, was the big one. It was the day of our, my work's Christmas lunch. And um, I was in Cardiff at the time. And it was you know, very heavy on the drink, less on the food. So we went down <laughs> to lunchtime. And I took the afternoon off to go see this film. Sat down. And I remember the Enterprise starting to fly over Vija, and I woke up about three quarters of an hour later. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so slow. It's just, just, oh, dear. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You've gone back and rewatch it, and they've recut it. Um, but, yeah, again, the only thing on that that's really memorable, I think, is Jerry Goldsmith's music. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Now, British films were interesting, because there's another theme that was going on in 79 which was youth youth and gang culture yeah. and there were four films that year 
the Warriors, um, I'll come back to that one in a minute, Quadrophenia, Scum, and the Wanderers. Um, but the Warriors was really interesting because it nearly didn't get a British certificate because people were getting killed in American cinemas watching it. The American marketing was such, it was building up the gang culture. So gangs were going into cinema to watch it and fighting one another. Oh, so my gosh. Had about five or six deaths in American cinemas. So there's talk. The Daily Mail, of course, leapt on it straight away. <laughs> filmed in this country. Um, but they give it um, an uncut uh, X certificate, so they're not 18. And it's brilliant. I, I, have you seen The Warriors? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I grew up on that film. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And by the way, good plug for Streets of Fire the other week, Bianca. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's just a really exciting, amazing film from Barry Diversion's music, um, you know, and, and to the cast and the whole mythology that they brought into it. Incredible film. Yeah, I think uh, another film that's obviously, you know, went on to be a cult classic that was released in 1979 was Mad Max. Yes. Again, another film which I watched when I was very young and probably shouldn't have watched. Um, (laughs) I play play my my stepfather. He basically, you know, he was around during this time and grew up with these films, so, you know, would let me watch them when I was, you know, um, young, so um, I've seen that list of films of your set past <laughs> people online. That is a quality education, right there. Um, yeah. A lot of films from 1979 are on that list, excellent. but yeah, Mad Max, of course, is uh, in you know in the same sort of weird style of the Warriors, where it's almost a hyper reality. It's it's kinetic. It's fast. It's you know, furious, to use a pun, but it just never stops, you know, it's just a great film. And it's, it's the, the violence in it as well is, when I was doing, mm. when I was editing my video to find a clip, I thought, I can't really use videos that, not spoilers as such, but what happens to the guy at the end, I mean, when he goes into the lorry, when you first yeah. see that, when you first see that, that's pretty, that's like horror film violence, but with this like reality revenge story, but, just quickly on the on the British films you mentioned, there, Quadrophenia, which yeah was a slightly different, almost a musical, I would say, if you if you're into the Who, but but Scum was uh, mm. it's it's heartbreaking. Gosh. It's a heartbreaking film. I mean, there's a little bit of revenge in that. There's Ray Winston, you know, he essentially says, "I'm not going to take any more of this shit. I'm the daddy now," or whatever he says. But some of the stuff that happens to some of the other characters, it's just. There's, there's, mm. there's suicide in it, there's, there's abuse, there's all, the, all manner of verbal abuse, bullying. It's horrifying. A friend of mine said at the time, going back to 1979, he said, we've had an interesting year, he said, we, we watched these films, because I, I was 19 at the time, so we, we watched these films that were around our age group, and you come out exhilarated out of Quadrophenia and the, and the Warriors, and you're scared shitless coming out of scum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it certainly was a, a a very interesting year for controversial films. You know, yeah. we've obviously mentioned Life of Brian, but that famously was banned, I believe, in, in parts well, it, of the UK. Yeah, it, it, it's ridiculous, really, about 
as you say about controversial film, you also had, of course, the China Syndrome, which came out weeks after the Three Mile Island disaster. Yeah, what a good film that is. Yeah, and I mean, that was pretty frightening. I mean, I know we've got Chernobyl now, which is far worse than what happened in Three Mile Island, but the timing of that film, yeah, but great film, great performances. And another film, I think Being There was 79 as well, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yes, yeah. I, I, I like to think of it as a documentary now, what with Trump and Johnson. Exactly. I was just thinking about that when I was writing the the piece, which is up on, on Filmosomy. Yes. Yeah, uh, little, little plug-in there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was just thinking, like... I almost would want to see a remake of that, talking about terrible remakes and everything. Uh, but what you could do, or what you could say about today's society, especially in, in terms of how things get miscommunicated and um, how we associate meanings to certain well, situations. and it's, it's such a great film. I mean, I just love how... The character of Chance is just innocent in a way, so innocent, and 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 then what he says is taken by other people, and yeah, they spin it to suit their own narratives and their own perspectives. I mean, I loved one of my favourite scenes in that movie is the. Um, the dinner scene where he happens to talk about his you know um, his house closing down and you know he's been told to move out and they they think he's referring to a business and, and he has that, that great line about the the lawyers and everything and the it's you know it is just completely it, it, because we you don't think he's actually talking about a house about actual you know when he says the room upstairs he's talking about his bedroom upstairs but they think he's referring to to heaven it's it's such a great film and uh, uh, you know peter sellers's performance is just amazing and of course i mean that really was the end of really how ashby's sort of Rain really. I mean, he had such a great period in the 1970s, and then come the 80s, it all sort of went downhill from there. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Very, very much. Because Coming Home, one of the Vietnam films, is an Ashby film. Mm, yeah. That's a, yeah, a really good. Yeah, the Can I touch on two a, 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 a film? Well, one plot and one film from 79 that's almost seems to have vanished now. Yeah. And it was a huge... So this particular film, it's Yanks uh, by John Schlesinger. And you would not believe the amount of publicity that went on in this country for this film. So it's uh, Richard Gere starred in it. um, And it was about uh, American troops in the UK immediately prior to D-Day. I suppose in the months leading up to D-Day. And how they integrated with the local people and uh, it, it was just hyped to death in this country and it did okay it just flopped in America more than anything else we didn't get anywhere and it's sort of been forgotten 
gotten there. Um, oh, yeah, I was just about to say, I know this film. When the moment you said Richard Gere, I was like, I know this film, I've seen this. But uh, yeah, I didn't realise that it flopped. Yeah, but not in the UK. It was really big in the UK. There's a scene in that film that always stays with me, which is the dance hall scene where the black soldiers come in. And of course, the whole thing, particularly with the Americans, is prejudice um, at that time. And the fight breaks out. So to stop the fight, the women, because I think it was all all filmed at, I think it was filmed in Lancashire, a lot of it. The, the women sort of went on and started dancing with the, the black soldiers and ignored the white soldiers. Absolutely powerful scene. Um, and another one I've got on my list. Is that okay for me just to, to go on on these notes I made of the films I saw that year? Yes, go for it. Yeah. Um, is uh, John Badham's version of Dracula. Now, yes. it's a completely different experience now if you watch it on DVD or Blu-ray. Because after it came out, it was really vibrant with its colours. And Badham didn't like it. And he had a clause in his contract that he could adjust it. So he's now muted the colours. So if you see it now, it doesn't look as spectacular as it did when it came to the cinema. And I don't know why he did it. Because it loses something in the way it's it's put onto Blu-ray and DVD. I think there's a lot of that, isn't there? I mean, I've just, I, wrote, I just read Doug's review of, of Kramer versus Kramer. Um, and he mentioned about the Oscars and how Apocalypse Now, why did, why did that not bloody win? But at the time... When you've got to look at it now, go back into 79, at the time Apocalypse Now was not really well received, you know, uh, but whereas Kramer vs. Kramer were kind of touched on all the stuff that was happening, to, to you know, with divorce and stuff. No, I, I always struggle with Apocalypse Now with the last part because he originally wanted Steve McQueen to play the role of Kurtz, McQueen asked for too much money, and he got Brando. And then Brando put all that weight on, and he's supposed to be this, like, you know, super soldier. And it just lost it. I can understand, you know, the metaphor of this guy's gone to seed, but that wasn't the original intention. That's certainly not the intention in Conrad's Heart of Darkness. You say about films back then and have different meanings today. Let's talk about another one of those Oscar nominees of that year, Manhattan. Yeah, I, I was yeah. going to mention this. There's another director as well who made a really great... I don't think Manhattan's great, but I'll come on to it in a minute. But another, another director we have to touch on is Roman Polanski, who made a great film this year called Tess. Um, that's just yeah. my opinion. People are going to fancy it. It's film. boring and it's yeah. depressing. And But Manhattan, I, I had a problem with it when I saw it, but Woody Allen's reputation has preceded him for such a long time now. I don't think... And I'm not a prude, I don't think I could sit down and watch that film now. This is like a guy who made a film who's basically making films about himself. And he's still doing it. And you go back to the Colin Firth Emma Stone film. Oh, where yes, he's, he's yeah. 120 and she's 17. <laughs> uh, I love them both. I don't know why they did it. I don't know why he's still making films. And I have a real issue with Woody Allen. And that film is, is classed as one of his greatest. Yeah, I get that. I don't know if that's where you were going, Jeff, with it, but... Uh, well, it, it's really interesting. And, and fiction. Yeah, because I, again, I was younger, so I was two, two years younger, I think, when I saw um, Annie Hall, I saw that when it first came out, and a lot of that went over my head, but you need life experiences for Annie Hall to work for you. So it didn't work for me at that age. So I thought it was okay. I watched Manhattan, again, 
20, I think, then. And that film visually really worked for me. And I didn't see the age. I went back to it two years ago, and I felt really uncomfortable watching it. I actually haven't seen Manhattan because of the whole Woody Allen thing. I do like Annie Hall, uh, but, you know, I just can't bring myself to watch Manhattan, and it's kind of a bit of a shame, really. I, I hear the story about it, and I don't know how true this is, but when it was made and he looked at it, he suddenly realised what he'd done and said, if you don't release this, I'll make another film for you for nothing. Just don't release it. Now, I don't know how true that is. I can't verify that story, but um, that, that would, that would, yeah, that would sound about right because there's nothing else he's done after that until these more recent things. There's anything like, you know, you go on to um, Stardust Memories, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. They're very different films. That experience of going back to watch Manhattan was very, very uncomfortable. It's a shame because it's one of the greatest openings of any any film. Brilliant. Speaking of greats, we have missed one from 1979. The Muppet movie. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I thought you were going to say Moonraker. <laughs> no, I, I, I glossed over that. with the that, that is one of the worst, if not the worst Bond film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> there's, not, there's not one thing in Moonraker that, you know, in all the difficulties he finds himself in he never gets out of it he always has to use a gadget to get out of it it's the only bond film where he does that yeah yeah terrible and still funny you know these characters are just absolutely brilliant but it was uh, well the songs as well by paul williams so yeah. rainbow connection yeah uh, it's just uh, it's yeah yeah, even the silly stuff like, you know, drive to see a fork in the road. And there's this giant <laughs> fork. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the old ones are the best. Yeah. Um, so I, I asked people on Twitter to let me know what they they consider their favourite film from the night uh, from 1979. I thought we could go through a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew from uh, At The Curb AU said that all, the, all that jazz... I know. I I love that film, and I've only just recently watched it, but I was really, really impressed by it. Yeah, I, I, I say it's an odd one for me because I never got to see it till September nineteen eighty. Uh, yeah, September nineteen eighty, um, and that was it. Was my favourite film of nineteen eighty. It it's just exhilarating. That final, that final sequence with Royce Scheider yeah. and Vereen is fantastic. Sorry, you're in my seat. Podcast um, said that Alien is undoubtedly the runaway winner of not, um, for them, but they also wanted to give special mention to Mad Max and, and Rocky too. Um, Gareth Haynes um, said Alien, Mad Max, The Brood, Life of Brian, Apocalypse, and all. Um, Julia um, also said that Alien was the only film of 1979. And nothing else came out apparently. <laughs> yeah. The Brood is an interesting one. Have you seen that? Yeah, we've not mentioned that, have we? That's good. That's Cronenberg, is it not? It is Cronenberg. Yeah. Oliver Reed and Samantha Egger. And another one that we've not mentioned, but uh, Jimmy uh, Fletcher um, has given a shout-out to, is Stalker. Oh, uh, yeah, God. 
Yeah. Such an incredible film. I mean, uh, just talk about, you know, we mentioned, you know, Midsummer uh, and sort of weird, surreal, mind-bending films, but Stalker, oh my gosh. Winky, uh, how do you do, um, said being there was their favourite film of 1979. You know, a lot of love for Apocalypse Now. Not so much Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, as far as on the poll, I did it. it it finished so low, and another film that finished really low was Norma Ray as well, which... Oh, yeah. If we're going to talk about women in cinema, um, and I'm going to mention a couple of films here before we finish, but, I mean, that that film is, is really good for that, and Sally Field is just mm. so great in it. It's, I'm not sure about her second Oscar that she won sort of six years later, but, <laughs> but, but this one, like... You know, the Academy really liked you then, Sally, because she's so good in it. <laughs> and that scene, that famous scene, um, where she lifts up the, the, so, yeah. the board, it, that, that scene's a really long scene, you know, with the, with the machinery, and you have to watch the whole thing. You know, she's in a lot of yeah. shit, but it, just turning off the machines one by one, and it's a really good scene, like, empowering. So let me just mention a couple more then with... Women in Man and yeah. some of the films that I've, we've not mentioned them amazingly. I'm gonna Tess. Obviously, we've talked about. It's one of my favourite films. Natasha Kinski's brilliant in it, and she had a strange career where she was not allowed to be brilliant very often, which is a shame. But she is. Uh, the Rose. You know, people think that middle can't act. Uh, she oh, can. Uh, she can. Uh, terrific. You know. Nosferatu, another another really really good horror film. Yeah. I can't believe it. Nice. Probably my, yeah, my favourite part from Alien. The music, every, oh, just everything about it. That, that's another interesting point, because it's another trend of 79, actually. We've touched on it now. Um, Dracula and Nosferatu. And there was a third one, Love at First Bite, yeah, Love at with First George Bite. Hamilton. Or, yeah. yeah, there was a mini Dracula season in 1979. Uh, the film I'll mention, then, is um, it's got about 100 titles. Uh, Zombie 2, Zombie Flesh Eaters. Oh, yeah, Zombie Flesh Eaters. It is absolutely bonkers, but it's kind of, it's one of them films that it's, when you're a kid, it's like the video nasty or the band. I'm going to have to watch it eventually. Uh, and you watch it, and I was actually like, this is pretty brilliant. Um, the music again, the music, you know, the, and yeah. the way it ends, it's like, oh shit. You know, is it actually a sequel to something? No, it, it was. What what happened was, sorry, Robin, were you going to say? I don't want no, to no, you, yeah, no, you go, go. Um, so Dawn, um, Dawn of the Dead came out in 1978, 79 in America, and it, it even though it was unrated, it was making a ton of money. So this Italian film that had been made, they flipped the title to Zombie Flesh Eaters or Zombie Two to try and cash in on Dawn of <laughs> the Dead. Um, now, now it's interesting what Robin's saying because I saw it in the cinema. I hated the film. I really did. But it was cut to hell. There were three minutes cut out of it in the print I saw. So there's a famous scene where the woman is forced, uh, her eye forced onto the shard of glass that's sticking out. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It is as nasty as it sounds, but not in the version I saw because they cut that completely. Yeah, uh, you watch it now and you think, well. She's not really doing anything to, to fight him off. You know, it's just like, yeah. it's like a hand. It's, and she's just like, it's almost like, you know, Austin Powers when he's going to get run over, but the car's miles away. He's like, no! 
it's like that, like, uh, she's screaming for about an hour, and then the thing actually does go into her eye, and you see it, and it's like that, you know, one well film, you know, from... Oh, okay, I can't watch anything with eyes. But it's, it's that classic no. 70s core thing, where now it looks a bit silly, almost, you know, um, but it's, it's still pretty grotesque, yeah. Um, I don't have any more horrors, but I do have a couple of West German films that are two of my favourite films of the year. The Tin Drum, which yeah. is... I don't know how you, how you can define this film. It's kind of horror, it's kind of... It's kind of... Um, coming of age, I suppose you could say. It's got very disturbing imagery in it, a very disturbing story, but it's, it's so compelling. And also The Marriage of Maria Braun, which is the Fassbinder film. When he was on, like, he was going, like, you talk about Hal Ashby, but this guy was, like, making a ton of films at this time. Not long before he passed away, actually. You know, he had a few narcotic issues. Um, but Fassbinder was one of the greats. He made, like, this German trilogy. He made films before that. But this was probably, this is probably one of my favourites. And Camera Buff, which is a Polish film by Kozlowski, very, very old Kozlowski film. One of his early, uh, really good. Um, I'll just quickly mention My Brilliant Career, which is probably another one which yeah, we film. didn't get until like... 1992. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, Gillian Armstrong. And The Jack, you know, Steve Martin. Oh, I hated that one. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous film, but he, he made a lot of them, and, and he made a bit of money out of it as well. Yeah, um... made a lot of money out of those, those early films. And then Justice for All, Al Pacino, it, you know, yeah. one of his yeah, many yeah. Oscar nominations in the 70s that he never won. Yeah, good, good final speech in that film, when oh. he stands, yeah, yeah when, it, when he's, like, you know, he's expected to say the right thing. Yeah, the, the tin drum, I, I, I could do with the remake of that today, because I think we're heading in the same direction. Um, yeah, I don't know how to do it, uh, in any language. It's, no. There's nothing quite like it. There's nothing quite like that film. It's, yeah, it is, aston- it is an astonishing piece of work. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. what, what a year. I mean, what a year. Mm. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, 1979, I mean, yeah, a great year for film. And I'm wondering what we're, what our next rewind is going to be. Well, it's not going to be 1980, I'll tell you that now. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all about the transitional stuff, the... the even Spielberg struggled this year. You know, people struggled to mimic this the Star Wars success, and it's about to go, about to you know release Empire Back, which is the greatest Star Wars film. Um, Spielberg will then go on and do wonderful things. You know, it, it's a really weird transitional. How it kind of in the Oscars as well. We haven't really talked about that, but how the Oscars start change as well. You know. The, <laughs> Risky yeah, films, but... risky films vanished, and the eighties be- became like the music, very sort of trashy pop films. So I grew up. My cinema coming of age is the seventies, and I go on and on about this. But I think you've got a, in nineteen eighty an almost literal death by caused by two films, uh, nineteen forty one and Heaven's Gate, mm. both of which flop. Nineteen forty one not so much a flop, but Heaven's Gate m- destroyed United Artists. And after that, everything changed. And that was a guy in Medea Hunter as well. Michael Cimino, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, how, how do you bounce back from that? Fascinating yeah. how cinema trends change with the times. The 70s, I think, is the best example. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. 
Thank you very much for uh, allowing me on and relive my youth. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Thank you for sharing um, with us. It was fascinating, honestly.